This is a true crime podcast. It contains adult themes and content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. When a guard would stop and talk to you, you used to stand back and you would yell so people could hear what you were saying to that guard as they walked by or, or within the vicinity. But he knew what a convict was going to do before they thought of it himself, themselves. He'd just been around that long and uh, he was tough. They'd find uh, Sparky in about every conceivable place you could imagine, which we would, of course, dump. They'd wait until everybody was locked up and he would open his door and run down to cell one and get a bugler can full of Sparky and take it back to his cells. She had a kind of a hypnotic power. There were a great many wild cats around the penitentiary, and most people couldn't get near them. But she would stand in the doorway of the cell house and say, Kitty, 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 and those cats would go to her. All right, well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Stool Pigeon Saturday. Today we have a very special guest, the grandson of... Nathaniel Gardner, who we spoke about earlier this week. Curtis Nixon on the line with us. Yes. Yeah. Curtis, it's so nice to have you here. Thank you. I'm I'm very honored to, to be your guys' guest. We love listening to your, your podcast. It's really interesting, and I think what you guys are doing is really awesome. Thank you for uh, sending so much information. Like, it really added so much to the stories. And there were a lot of things that, you know, I imagine, did you get a lot of the information from, like, family lore? My family's really, really good about keeping records and keeping photographs. And that side of my family's LDS, and, and the LDS people are very, very excellent at keeping records. And um, we have a lot of original photographs. I don't know if I sent to one of my grandpa standing outside the prison the day he got released. But we actually have the original that was taken, and you can actually see the walls of the women's ward yeah. behind him in that photograph. That's so cool. Yeah, they're super fascinating. I think you posted it to the Behind Gray Walls uh, Facebook group, a lot of those photos. I believe I did. Yeah, we'll relink those when we uh, pop this episode up, because they're awesome. such great photos. That one of him in front of the women's ward. I think he had, like, a smile on his face. He did. <laughs> Looks like he was in some new clothes and had some new shoes and was yeah. just happy to be getting out. That was fascinating in itself. And then, you know, you reached out with your own stories about being in the system at the Idaho Department of Corrections. Can you... Right. When I, was, uh, when I was 17 years old, I made a bad decision and uh, I uh, committed an armed robbery. And I, I had to take the consequences, and part of that was prison. They decided that since I was committing an adult crime, that I could take an adult sentence, you know? Yeah. And so they sentenced me to three and seven, and that's when my journey through the system began. Wow. So 17, were you in school and everything? And Yep. I actually, uh, my family... There was an agreement. I was taken to jail, and uh, it was right in the middle of my senior year of high school. And my family said, if you'll uh, get out and you'll graduate from high school, we'll bond you out. So I did, and I graduated, but it was right after graduation. And we didn't think that I was going to get prison. My uh, my grandpa, my dad's dad, was actually, was actually a cop. Oh. And so uh, we thought that I'd get a more lenient sentence, but the judge, I think, was trying to 
teach me a lesson and make an example because that is a pretty serious crime. Yeah. Mm. How'd you get busted? Can you walk us through? I had two best friends growing up. My dad actually was best friends with their dads growing up and uh, we had started using drugs and we were out of money and we thought it would be brilliant to rob the gas station. It's kind of an area where we live. And uh, we went there that night. I went inside and they were supposed to go inside with me and they kind of, they caught out last moment and I said, well, we're already here. We've already planned this. I'm going to do it. So I went in and they sat in the car. We did the, ro- I did the robbery. We left and we went and buried like the masks and the gloves and everything, all the, the gear that we had used, you know, and, and, uh, they were not the brightest about it. They started going around to different people and, at parties and stuff bragging about what had happened. The police didn't even think it was us. They actually thought it was another kid that we had grown up with. And so they went to him because he was in the county jail. And uh, he said, it wasn't me, but I know who did it. And uh, he told on uh, Tyson and Ben, and he uh, gave them information that way. And so they pulled Tyson and Ben down to the courthouse in Bonneville County and and they uh, told them everything. They wrote statements against me, and they called me, and they said, we need you to come down to the courthouse. Mm-hmm. So my dad took me down to the courthouse, and uh, I got down there, and the detective said, uh, your two best friends just rolled on you. They told me everything. Uh-huh. I said, no, they didn't. I said, they would never do that. Those are my best friends, you know? And he put two papers down on the table in front of me, blank side up. I could see there was writing and, and stuff on the other side. He looked him over and he said, look for yourself. And sure enough, they had, they had spilled everything. And in turn, for them doing that, they were given pretty much immunity, and they were not charged as accessories or anything. Uh-huh. But I was charged and I was dealt with. But it's kind of funny because they, they ended up getting theirs because they're both in prison right now. Oh, jeez. Different things. So that deal should never happen. I was raised better than that, so... Going to the prison the first time, scary. It was absolutely scary. I was terrified. I remember being on the transport bus for IDOC, and uh, I remember pulling off of Pleasant Valley Road, and I could see the towers and the Constantine wire and all the buildings, and I just remember thinking to myself, what did I get myself into? What did I do? And I was so, so upset that I had to use the bathroom really bad when we finally got off the bus. It was, uh, it was a very intense experience. And I was just young. And, I, you know, I was kind of a pretty boy at that time. And I was a good-looking kid, small guy. I'm only 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, uh-huh. I had to learn to, to take care of myself in there because there was a lot of guys that kind of wanted to make me their girl, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to be anybody's girl. I decided that right. from the get-go. And, and I had, had too many guys that had done a lot of time tell me, you got it. You got to stick up for yourself. You know, you can't be be a punk because that's what a punk is in prison. Yeah. A punk is somebody's girl. And that's what the term means. You know, and I decided I wasn't going to be that. I actually had a guy that was a lifer. He was in there for very serious murder, and he actually did time on death row, but his sentence was, uh, he was given a life instead of the death sentence. And so now he's, he's in general population, but... I remember he came up to me and he says, you're a good-looking kid. You're a pretty kid. And uh, he made a comment, I'm not going to say it on here. And I said, you're not going to do anything to me. 
if you come after me, or he said he was going to get, I was asleep in the morning. He says, if you come in there, I'm going to defend myself and I'm going to do whatever it takes. And if I have to kill you, that's what I'll do. Wow. And he, uh, he kind of backed off after that, but you kind of have to go in there with that attitude and you have to be ready for anything like that. You can't just be talk. Yeah. You got to be about it too. You know, because they keep those guys that have done time 30, 40 years, they can tell if somebody's real or not. They can tell if somebody's going to stick up for themselves. It's kind of like Chris Savala. He, when he got there, he got tested. And a lot of that happens there, too. So just to see what kind of part you got. Because we look at it this way. Um, we don't want somebody living with us that's a rat or doesn't have heart because that's trouble. That's when prison community is at risk, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, RDU, um, that's where you go when they take you off the bus. They put you in coveralls, and they take your picture. They take your head and get your bedroll, all that stuff at the same time. Uh-huh. And they take you to RDU, which is a 15 house on the yard. And the yard was built, I think, in 1972, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. So those buildings are really old, pretty much, mm-hmm. you know. And they take you to a 15 house, which is where RDU is. And you're locked down most of the day with somebody else you don't even know and that's where they just kind of process you until they decide where they're going to send you whether that's tc or max or the farm or saint anthony you know rdu is wild place that's probably where i saw more violence and more crazy stuff than anywhere else in the prison wow and what does rdu stand for um i believe it is reception and diagnostics unit okay all right Mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh they they take you to medical and they draw your blood they do blood work, they do your medical history, then you go to education, they see what kind of a education level you're on, and then they also see what kind of programming you're going to need. The judge ordered programming, or the board has conditions, you know, that you have to program. Yeah. I programmed, I've been to prison three times, and I programmed each time. A lot of mine are violent crimes, and so I did a lot of the, like, anger management programs, and and uh, cognitive self-change, those kind of things. Okay. But it takes a while to get into those programs. Sometimes you'll wait six months. Sometimes you'll wait a month. But there's a long list right now because of the overpopulation and the growth in our population in Idaho, you know, all these yeah. guys going to prison. Now, did you did you find that um, those programs sort of helped as people were moving into the prison, like with, with what you experienced and what maybe other inmates around you experienced, did you find that those sort of programs were effective for helping deal with sort of this new experience in prison? Yes, absolutely. I think those programs helped me a lot. Um, they helped me mature. They helped me learn how to... I come from a family that doesn't have the best social skills. We don't communicate the greatest. There's a lot of history of physical violence and domestic violence, you know, and they teach you those things. And a lot of guys are like that. They go in there, you know, they come from families. They have a history. And that's why I think there's so much conflict in prison is because nobody knows how to communicate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But those programs are really awesome. I think they work if you want them to. You have to want to change um, in your heart, in your head, though, for those programs to work. There's a lot of guys, and I was guilty of this the first two times, that they'll do the program just to get their release date. Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't do anything that the program teaches you, you know? But yeah, I believe they do work. All right. So you kind of established 
when you arrived and and getting into these programs that's and did you get like a sense of community when you were in these programs oh yeah for sure um i i associated a lot with the guys that are from eastern Idaho because that's where i'm from and they just that's we kind of grouped together these guys from eastern Idaho because a lot of us know each other mm-hmm. you know and it's i mean yeah there's some bigger cities like i know falls and pocatello that are 50 60,000 people but everybody knows everybody over here you know and, and so yeah we we did kind of group together and but in prison i I listened to the old timers before i went their advice and i i'm grateful i did and was wise because there's a lot of guys that don't listen to them and one of the things that they told me was when you get there don't just be friends with anybody yeah. Be very careful who you be friends with mm-hmm. and keep your circle small. I mostly grouped with guys that I'd known a long time, you know, that I'd grown up with. After you kind of went through RDU, did you uh, get to choose your your celly in, or anything? Oh, no. You don't get to choose your celly at all. In fact, actually, um, I had an incident. That I, I lived by the old school con code, and I won't live with a sex offender in prison. I absolutely refuse to live with a sex offender or a, a snitch, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the first guys they were going to put me in with was a sex offender. He was, he had a pretty bad case, and I refused to sell with him, and he said, okay, well, you can go to the hole. You can go to eight house. Huh. And that's where the hole is on the yard. That's one of the oldest buildings. And I went and did 30 days, and they kind of put a note in my file just not to put me in with sex offenders after that. <laughs> but you don't get to choose who you live with, so it can be conflict sometimes. So I've, been with cellies that we don't get along, you know, mm-hmm. and it can it can get up sometimes. But no, you don't get to choose that stuff. You you get everything taken away from you, you know. Yeah, they they call the shots that on that kind of stuff, and if you don't agree with it, then they have a special place in the hole for you, you know. Yeah, can you tell us about the hole? Oh, uh, the hole. <sighs> um, the hole's haunted. I believe this is creepy. Uh, I believe for a while they had death row in a house, and it's concrete slabs for your beds. You got a little kind of desk in there. You got your toilet and sink. There's one light bulb. You get a, a golf pencil, paper. You are put into orange scrubs, and you get a blanket and sheets. You're lucky if you get an old, forty-year-old paperback book. You know. Yeah. It took me three days one time to get a pencil sharpened. Oh, jeez. There's no intercoms in those cells. Mm-hmm. That's how old it is. Um, it's something you have to kick on the door or you have to wait till a CEO comes around to do his rounds. And it's loud. It's loud all day in there. Um, you got guys yelling back and forth and and stuff. And they're taking, they take people out to wreck and... You know, they take people to the 10-minute showers. You get a 10-minute shower three, uh, every three days. Mm. I had a couple experiences in there that, that really creeped me out. Oh. It's kind of general consensus that it's haunted. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, there was actually a man that was killed there during the 86 riot, I believe it was. Uh. I think his name is Mike Holmes. He was a rat. And they actually broke through the wall. couldn't get into a cell, so they put a shank on the end of the spear, and they stabbed him to death with it. Wow. Yep. It gets wild in there. Yeah. Um, Idaho prison, it's pretty It's pretty back for the most part. It's not like California or somewhere like there, but it can be prison. <laughs> yeah. You know? I was given a presentation, and there's a CEO who came up to me, and he said he worked in a gang unit, and he had seen a, uh-huh. a fella stabbed, like, 
two days prior, and he was sitting at his desk late at night, and he watched this guy walk by his office, and it took him a second, and then he's like, wait, and he jumped out of his seat, he ran out and looked on the walk, and there was nobody there, and he's like, I know I saw the guy that was just killed. When he was telling me the story, my hair went up, you know, on my arm, I was like, what, are you kidding? Oh, yeah. Um, I remember the first time I seen something violent over there. You, it's weird when you see it. It's you get a weird like rush through your body. You get really weak, and and it just it really is kind of in a way it's traumatic, you know. Especially for somebody as young as I was when I went the first time. Um, my first time out on the breezeway on the yard after I had been through RDU and had gotten my bed. Uh, I was walking down the breezeway with a friend, and all of a sudden, probably two people in front of us, these three guys jumped a guy. And they beat him bad. His face was purple when they, they hauled him off afterwards. And it was because he had been a gang member. And for some reason, they had told him, you're done, and go north to Orfino and don't come back to the yard or ICC. Ideally, made a mistake. And they went back to the yard after he'd been to Orfino. And he was walking down the breezeway, and they got him. Yep, they'll get you. I mean, you can't, even if they put you into protective custody, they'll find a way to get you if they want you. Wow. There's much respect for the gangs. I didn't, I don't, I don't cause them problems. A lot of them are good guys just because they're gang members, you know, and they're horrible guys, but they, they run the prisons. They run the prison, not the CEOs. Yeah. So how prolific is the gang activity in like IDOC? It's very, very, it's very prominent in the, in the system. You got different gangs over there that... I mean, there's a lot of gang members in prison. Are they all sort of racially based? Are there? Is it? Um, you got like the you got the Mexicans, the northern Mexicans, and the southern Mexicans, and you got. I'm not gonna say the other ones. They they don't like it when people say their names. Mm. That we call them three letters, and two letters, and one is a, a white supremacist group, and they're very well known. Here. Um. Mm. And they're based off of what I can say is the Aryan Brotherhood, which is a national, you know, group of guys that are considered a, a threat group in the prison. Yeah. It is very racial in that, it's very political. It depends on where you're at. The yard isn't as bad, but ICC is very political. I lived by the old Congo, so I didn't sit with anybody outside of my race. I didn't do business with anybody outside of my race. I didn't really associate with anybody outside of my race. I just followed the politics because I wanted the easiest time I could have. Created a lot of guys. Um, they call it prospecting, and they'll find the younger guys that want to put in work, which is another term they use, and they'll have them do things, go get people that have pits or a junk guard or something like that to show that they can do that kind of stuff before they'll do what call earn their letters hmm. it's, it's sad there's a lot of young guys that go in there that are easily influenced that do they click up with the gangs you know and that's a good way to add, add the extra time to your sentence because yes. when you're told to do something whether it's a felony or not you, know, you better do it or they'll get you you know but I have a lot of very 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 good friends over there that are, are gang members there's quite a few that are high up you know and then you talk to them it seems like they're normal people you know? Is there a good sense of protection if you're a part of that group, that gang, that clique? Yes. Yes. Uh, it is very, it's well known over there that if you're a part of a gang, uh, if you give somebody that's in a gang problems, 
because you're going to deal with that game very personal level. Were there ever like mass fights or brawls that went on when you were there at all? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Literally, probably in ICC, it was every day when I was there. And I was there during the time that CCA had ICC, the private prison company. Yeah, we mentioned Gladiator School when we met with Jeremy. Gladiator School, yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, CO Ward. He's a good guy. That's, you know, you don't become friendly with him. You're not their friends and their stuff. But that's one of the one of the CEOs that I have a lot of respect for because he treats you like a human being. Right. And you do get those guys. They treat you just like you're. They don't treat you any different than they don't treat anybody out here. But there are you know, the ones that they deserve for, and they, you know they're hated. But I found my times in prison, you know, doing time there that if you're just you can communicate with the guards. They're very good at doing whatever they got to do, you know? Mm. But you're not their friends. And, and I followed a thing that if I had to talk to a CO, I always took somebody else with me so that they could hear the conversation, uh-huh. so that there was no suspicion at all, you know, about what was being said. But you try not to go up and, and BS with them or hang out with them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because then people start talking, well, why is he hanging out up at the officer station so much, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we hear that a lot from old pen oral histories where they, you know, we would shout our answers so that everybody around us knew we weren't snitches. And Absolutely. If they talk to you and you're out in a chair or something, and you I was always super loud so that people could hear what I was saying. Yeah. Can you walk us through kind of a typical day, what a routine was? Mm, you wake up in the morning, it's about, I want to say it's 5.30, the doors roll, and do breakfast within the hour and a half, two hours. You go up to the chow hall, you eat your breakfast, then you go back to your unit and about, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour later, they'll start calling the first yard units, and that's when people can head up to education or medical or anything like that, you know? Yeah. You also have recreation, which is the gym. You can go up there, and when I first went there, they had the pool tables. And from my understanding, those are now gone because somebody actually used a pool cue to hurt somebody else. And so the administration said, if you guys are going to appreciate the privilege, you guys were just going to take it. And that really, really will make a lot of guys mad because we like those things. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. when somebody does and does something dumb, then they're not very well liked after that. Right, yeah. Ruin it for everybody. Mm-hmm. But uh, it can go and, like, burn them or even go to education during the day. And it's just kind of, once you get a half a start until lunch, there really isn't anything. Then you go pick up your lunch around the, mm, 10.30. And then after that, 11 o'clock count. You're locked down for about an hour. Okay. They can count everybody, and sometimes they'll do a standing ID count where you have to get up and actually go up to the door and show them your ID. If there's fog or anything like that, that day, they will shut the yard down, and they'll, they'll count right after mealtime to make sure you got out or, or missing or anything. There was actually this attempt um, this last time I was there. There's a guy named Don Dowling, and he... It was a pretty famous case in Boise. He killed some college students. Um, he had some mental health problems. He actually uh, tried to escape. Went to, he somehow made it over the first fence over by visiting, and he got caught in between the fences where the dog And one of the dogs attacked him, and 
the guards up in the towers could hear something going on and they uh they went down there and got him and he's in max now he'll never get out of max because of the serious nature of his murder charges and the uh, fact that he was trying to actually that guy would have been dangerous yeah. there's a lot of people that would be long in prison Jeez. wow wow uh do you were there any other escape attempts while you were there not that I know of. That was the only one. Would but I'm sure there's a lot. There was a guy while I was there. His name is uh, Ted Dickey. And uh-huh. he actually did time in the penitentiary for killing a little girl. And he escaped like six different times, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah. From the he's... old penitentiary and yeah. from the yard. There's just some guys that are brilliant that way. You know, they'll find a way out if they're that desperate, you know, and there's yeah. a lot of guys that they have nothing but time. Was that something, did you ever discuss it? Like, oh, I wonder if I could get out this way, or was that not even a question? I, I had thoughts about it. I did think about it a lot, but I also was parole eligible every time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I had to agree with family and loved ones and girls that I was with at the time, you know, that... I can do my program and go home, you know, but that thought's always there, of course, you know. Yeah. I imagine if I was given a little sentence, I'm the time I'd probably see the way to get up. Yeah. I just couldn't spend my whole life in there. Oh. Those lifers, they're, they're some really strong individuals, willpower-wise. And there's a lot of them, you know, that's their life, and there's a lot of them, they make the best of it, you know, and, and they just live life, doesn't bother them. You know, you know they're, they're five, so they're just doing the best of it. Yeah. There was a, a murder this time I was there. Um, there was a guy that was beat to death in his cell. He had threatened his celly, who was in there for killing his kids, and uh, they were not getting along. And uh, his his he didn't that night. That was in Ten House. Wow. Which was in the unit right next to where I was at. When you walk into those places, you can feel that energy. You know. Mm. There's a very mm-hmm. strong energy in prison. Yeah, I can that you don't. It's a kind of energy you just don't feel anywhere else. Yeah, it's kind of like you're in your own little world. How do you deal with emotions? Like, you know, I feel like you, you can't, don't show emotions. Yeah, you don't show them at all. If I cried, I did it in the shower, or I did it in the nighttime when I was asleep and nobody could see. Yeah, if you do and you're crying or you're whining or you're real emotional, then the guys label you a bitch. Basically, excuse my language, but that's what they call it, right. you know? Yeah, yeah. And then people kind of shun you, you know? Hmm. I didn't really talk about my personal emotions or anything because I didn't want anybody to be able to take that, use it against me to manipulate me, right. which a lot of guys will do. Wow. Hmm. I don't talk about my family in there, people. I don't talk about my loved ones, my friends. I don't talk about my life out here. I don't tell anybody where I live. They're from this area, you know? You have to be very, very guarded with that kind of stuff because there are a lot of guys that will use it. Um, there was a guy that was there this last time I was there, and his act was stolen, and somebody started writing And Actually, the guy got out, and he went to this guy's wife's house and started stalking. You have to be very careful oh. with that stuff. You can't leave your address book where anybody can see it. You know, I always carried mine on me everywhere I went. Huh. Yeah, it's something I wouldn't even think about. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. seriously. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that, and they're criminals, you know. Mm-hmm. They'll manipulate and manipulate and manipulate day long right. in every single way that they can find. 
Do you wow. feel like you had rehabilitative programs that helped you want to like correct your actions and everything? Oh yeah. I feel like I'm more rehabilitated now than I was, you know, like I said, I've been three times and this last time I just kind of eight and a half years old, you know, and this last time I just kind of, I made this vow inside that I was just done doing time. I didn't want to live that way anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I got out. It's in, it's a mindset. There's a lot of guys, I don't know about, you know, um, it's the mindset that want to change and it takes work, it takes effort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I still struggle every day with conforming to society's rules. You know, I, I'm a very hot-headed individual. You know, and I'm—I come from that world where you have problems with somebody, you handle it with hands. You know. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's hard to finish kind of that criminal thinking when you get out. You know, I'll be driving down the street or something. It's not even intentional, and I'll see somebody carrying a deposit bag. You know, headed to the bank, and I'll think, hmm. That's a good score right there. Yeah, that's an you know? easy target. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to catch myself and be like, nah, no, that's right. prison time right there. Yeah. Not worth it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, boy. Do you find that these, like, rehabilitation programs are are useful for most inmates? I mean, obviously, you said it comes down to, you know, whether they're willing to work for it. But overall, do you think that they're a, a useful thing for most inmates who are willing to make it work? Yes, I do. Those programs are good. They teach you, basically what they do is they teach you how to conform to society, you know, and there's a lot of guys that just don't, they do their program to get out, you know, but I think they're, I think they're good programs. I benefited from them a lot. Mm-hmm. And each time I did a program, I, my family and my friends and stuff would say that I matured more and more. That's what it's all about, right? Yeah. Just grow and learn and yeah. And I'm actually doing really good. This is the longest I've been out of prison without reoffending or going back to jail or anything. Yeah. Um, I was released this last time on November 20th of 2017, just a few days before Thanksgiving. Yeah, nice. And I've been out since then. I haven't gone to jail. I got a few slips with, with probation and parole, you know. But I have a very, very awesome PO. She's been the best PO I've ever had. She's very supportive. She wants me to be successful, Yeah, you know. And she's worked with me and worked with me and worked with me. She's just, she's an amazing person. She's a very good asset to IDOC, and there's a lot of POs like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they really care and dedicate their time and effort. And Yep, my little brother died in October of 2018, and I relapsed on drugs. I have an addiction problem, you know, and my PO, instead of, you know, going the old route and saying, I'm going to put you in jail, you know, she helped me. She basically counseled me, you know, through that time in my life, and she was just very supportive. Wow. That's Instead really of, you know, sending me back to jail yeah. like she could have, you know, and I kept relapsing and relapsing. I really struggled after my brother died, and that was a way for me to escape that pain was a drip, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not uncommon. I bet that happens. You know, no, we, we hear that story a lot. I would say lot. probably 75% of the guys that are in prison have addiction problems. Hmm. That's a huge conversation you'll hear all over the prison is guys talking about drugs and things that they did while they were on drugs or saw or experienced you know yeah i mean i feel like uh, alcohol played a part in oh man a huge majority of old pen inmates my great mm-hmm. on yeah. that time yeah he was a horrible alcoholic he had a really bad alcohol problem that whole family does actually he was a moonshine 
That's right. Yeah, you were saying that. And the hills, yeah. And black. So him and his brother, made they made moonshine, and their stills, they had a still up in Wolverine Canyon, which is over here kind of by First Idaho, and then they had one out in the labs in Hell's Half Acre out west of Idaho Falls. There's a lot of guys in prison that do have alcohol problems, you know? And it's a generational thing. Family that in four generations have been in prison since my great grandma. Wow. Was it for similar things like like grand larceny? Most of my dad's stuff was drugs. I have uncles that have been there and cousins, and I probably have about eight different dads just in my generation that are cousins and stuff. You know, are in the system or have been to prison. Hmm. It is a generational thing. There's a lot of guys in there that they come from families like mine. You know that it's handed down every generation. We grow up, you know, seeing these adults that go to prison and they become acceptable and it's normal. And that's kind of what goes into a, you know, younger mind when you see that, you know. And it was sad because my grandpa was a cop. I mean, and mm -hmm. I spent a good part of my life with my grandparents. They, they raised me for a good time because my dad did do a lot of time, you know. Uh -huh. And mm -hmm. that's why I did, I knew wrong from right a lot better than a lot of guys because of that, but... It was just kind of crazy because I have this whole family, you know, that's been to prison, but then there's my grandpa, you know? The law enforcer, yeah. Yeah. He actually, we, t we took him over to the old pen and one time, and he was like, man, I feel bad for arresting a lot of these guys. <laughs> it was it could be rough at the old pen, for sure. Oh, yeah, way <laughs> way worse than the prison now, I yeah, believe. Yeah. I had an old-timer that did time at the old pen. He told me there was a murder there or a killing there. He saw a guy thrown off the top tier in, I want to say it was... Is it three house? Three house, yeah, yeah, two or three, yeah. He saw a guy thrown off the top tier. <laughs> there was another guy that seen Ernesto Blanco mm -hmm. stabbed in the chow line. Oh, oh. yeah. Mm -hmm. They said that's wow. where you got people, and you'll hear a lot of old timers talk about the old pen over there. Yeah, can you tell us some of those stories? They talked about how they had their cigarettes and. They used to make squawky. They said squawky was everywhere. And, that, and it's kind of now the prison is drugs is everywhere. Mm. But they have a lot of cool stories about the bucket system. Yeah, the honey bucket. Yep. yep. And there's three, no, two units on the yard that are really old. And they're not bucket systems, but they have communal bathrooms. You don't have a bathroom in your cell. Hmm. So if you need to go at night, are you locked in your cell or do you have open? Uh -uh. It, it, so I have a key to your cell in those houses. Oh. But they can lock you in during count and stuff like that. Okay. But it's just kind of odd. I mean, you can tell those things were definitely built when they closed down the old penitentiary. Yeah. yeah. Heaven House is actually, it looks a lot like uh, four house and five house. Uh -huh. It's bars. And it's the only one on the yard that is a unit that has bars. And I believe it was the first one built on the yard. The rose bushes is another thing I was going to bring up. You guys have the rose bushes at the, the old penitentiary? Yeah. They have them on the yard, and they're actually taken off of the rose. They were started off of the rose bushes or at the old penitentiary. That's so cool. Oh, that's cool. It that's is really, really cool. awesome. It is a DOR if you touch them. If you take any of the roses off of them, you will go to the hole. But it is really nice to be able to see that because you don't see a lot of things out there in the desert, you know? Yeah. You'd be able to walk down that breezeway and see the rose bushes and stuff. That's a, that's a little bit of outside life that you see that you appreciate. You don't have inmates who whose job it is to take care of those roses out, out at the new one? 
Yes. Um, they're actually on what they call the yard crew, and they mow the lawn. Oh, okay. And they do the gardening, and they, they're basically trustees. You have to have some trust with the administration, you know, to get jobs like that. I was here janitor. I worked in the kitchen. I worked in education for a while. But, yes, there's the yard crew, and they go out, and they, they shovel snow in the winter. Like I said, they mow the lawns, and a lot of guys will take advantage of that because it makes your time go by faster. Yeah, definitely. And you get paid for it a little bit. Okay, I was going to say, what was your compensation like? Twenty-two cents an hour. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, and if you have restitution or anything like that, and it goes to that, the state is about, very strict about that. Can you talk about commissary and like what they had available? And... Oh, commissary. <laughs> That's a big thing in there, and it causes a lot of problems. Right. In there, but uh, commissary comes once a week. Order. I can't remember what day it is. That's that's how long I've been out. I've kind of forgot some of this stuff. But you order on a certain day, I believe it's day, and then you get it on Wednesday. Okay. But commissary can be a wild ride because there's a lot of guys that are sex offenders or rats or just what we call punks. You know, but they were the sex offenders and the, the what we call the punks and the rats and stuff get their commissary. Us guys that call the, the good guys the solid guys. We'll go to their cell after they get a big bag of commissary, and we'll tell them, break bread, which means give us half of everything in your bag. Wow. And they don't, you can't do anything. They can't do anything about it because they know their place in there. Yeah. They, they can go to the cops, but they know what will happen if they do that. Man. But that's actually a big thing in the prison is no trading, no bartering, anything. It does create a lot of violence and problems. Yeah. But it is like it, that's that's your currency in there, commissary. What's a high ticket item, or is everything kind of equal? There's so much stuff on the commissary list. Right. Actually, there's commissary and what we call property, which is part of commissary. That's like your stereos or your fans or your your uh, tablets, the JP fives or whatever they call uh-huh. them. You can get razors if you want to shave you can get your hygiene stuff you can get stationary stuff like taps and pens um you can get food items you can get clothes there's a lot of stuff and what's like the price like prices are actually they're not too bad actually for for prison they're worse than the county jails um a soup in the county jails is a dollar of ramen noodle but over the prison you can get a whole case for like four bucks, I want to say. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that's what a lot of guys live on. I ate a lot of ramens in there. You just get other kinds of food to mix with it, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Because you do, you get hungry in there. I mean, IDOC does feed good. It's it's decent food. I don't think it's bad food. You get fed a lot of it, but you still get hungry, you know? Would it change every day? Would you have like lasagna one day, baked potato the next day sort yeah. of thing? Oh, okay. yeah. They have a, they have a month-long menu. Okay. It's something different for dinner every every night. And the food isn't too bad. I can't eat spaghetti anymore, though, because the spaghetti over there is just horrible. <laughs> the only spaghetti I eat now is my wife's. Yeah. But, yeah, there's a lot of food for me because of prison. Uh, the jail food is worse. Bonneville County jail food is it's absolutely disgusting. It's nothing but filler. Now I have charges in Jefferson County, which is Rigby, and that jail, that food is amazing. It's all Cisco food. I worked in the kitchen, and I mean, it's all really good food. The Bonneville County is horrible. Portions are really small in Bonneville County. 
Can you talk about the difference between the county jails and IDOC? Yeah, um, county jails is a lot more restricted because you have, you know, it's a jail, it's a detention center. There's a lot of things you can have in a jail that you can have. The pens you can buy on commissary, the razors, things like that. You can't get those in jail. If you want a razor, you have to check one out every morning with the deputy. And you don't have it for long enough to shave. And if you do anything with it, you break it or anything like that, you're in big trouble. You can't have any, like, electronics or things like that in a jail. Jefferson County doesn't even have TVs. That county jail is probably the better one. Uh, there, there's a lot of differences in each county. Uh, Bonneville County is very strict. Like, if you want books, you have to have them sent in from a publisher. Jefferson County is different. If you have books, your family can bring them. They'll have them go through them on this with the sergeant and... When they go through and make sure there's no contraband or anything, they'll bring them to you. Each county jail is different because it runs in jail. But there's a lot of IDOC influence on the county jails because both Jefferson County and Bonneville County are what they call the IDOC holds. And they've contracted with IDOC to hold guys that are sentenced time for any county in the state um, until open over at RDU at the prison. Okay. Oh. So you've got guys, so I was in Jefferson County, we had guys who were from Aiden County, or Canyon County, or Kootenai County, or Twin Falls County, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's when every week those guys are brought in on the bus by IDOC. That's an experience right there, that bus. Yeah, okay, tell us about that, like how long that bus ride is. and That's a long, long ride <laughs> from Eastern Idaho. Yeah. Because it's clear up St. Anthony, the way down through Rexburg, Rigby, Idaho Falls, and Pocatello, and then across through Twin Falls. But you get on the bus real early in the morning, about six in the morning. They'll call you out and they'll, they'll in your jumpsuit and they'll chain you up. And you're chained, belly chained. And they'll tell you before they even put you on the bus that anybody has any intentions of escaping or help, having anybody help them escape, we will kill you. And they do have guns on the bus. They have automatic weapons on the bus. They have a shotgun, and there's there's a the cage where the CO sits. But the bus ride, um, it takes forever. About six in the morning and to the yard until about five or six in the evening. So it's about a twelve hour ride. They stop at every county jail on the way. Wow. And each stops about an hour. And they have one bathroom break that whole time. Huh. I would be in trouble. In Burley. They that, they'll take your your chains off you and put you in a cell where there's a toilet. So if you have to use the bathroom when you're on the bus, better hope you saved your your plastic lunch bag. Oh, that's what everybody. That's what they'll tell you. Use your lunch bag. Wow. Yeah, they have a have a schedule they have to meet. You know. And, yeah. And that's a very serious job. That's a really high risk job. You know. And they only stopped one time. Wow. It's well known in the county jails that if you're going on transport the night before, even if you don't know if you're leaving or not, you don't start drinking a lot of stuff and eating a lot of stuff. Yeah. Mm. So you don't have to use the bathroom. (laughs) Well, that's a genius thing for our listeners to hear in case they ever find themselves in trouble. (laughs) Yeah. I hope some of this stuff will let people realize that prisons are not fun. No. There's actually little signs all over the the yard that say security is never convenient. 
Right. We find that just in regular society, too. Security is like, oh, man, going to the airport. What a drag. But it's important. It's good to have. You know, you've mentioned sort of this, like, old school con code. Can you list, like, sort of what the basis of that that old con code is? Like, You don't tell other people. You don't get in other people's business. If it's not your business, you don't pay attention to it. I don't care if it's, like... Just a conversation, you know, people just BSing, you know, shooting the breeze or something that's going on in the cell. You know, somebody could be getting beat up in the cell or something. You don't pay attention to it. It's not your business, you know, so you just turn a blind eye to it. Mm-hmm. The old school code says no gambling, you know. That's a good way to get into mm-hmm. trouble. You don't go out and get debts with people. Um, you don't talk to the guards unless you're with somebody or they can hear you. Um, you don't associate with rats or sex offenders. Mm-hmm. Or anybody that's got kind of bad, like somebody that has beaten a woman or something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because those people are weak to us. You don't lie. You beat about it. Like, if you have a problem with somebody, you go to that person, you know, directly, and you have to handle that, which is what they call it. And then um, you handle it with them. You don't back down. If you say you're going to fight somebody, you fight them. And you don't let anybody disrespect you. Never. You just have to stand up for yourself. But I like the old school con. There's a lot of guys that don't even live by it anymore. And the older generation hates the younger generations because of it. But I have so much respect for those old timers like Chris, you know, that have done a lot of time that they were wise. I mean, they know what they're talking about. And there's a reason that they live by that code. And so I figured, I mean, there's a reason there's that code. And if I want to have easiest, smoothest time I can have, I'm going to follow that code. Well, yep. Oh, no stealing. No stealing. You never no steal. Stealing. I've seen a lot of people get beat up and hurt and things for stealing. If you're going to take something from somebody, you take it directly from their face. Well, Curtis, that is, uh, those are some sage words you just <laughs> dropped on our list. Yeah, That's yeah. great. Is there anything else you want to... It's a whole different world, isn't it? It takes, you know, somebody correcting themselves before they can uh, get through it and being a man of their yep. word. And yeah, wow. Exactly. All right. Well, anything else you want to end with? It's cool that I was able to do this. I mean, I'm excited to see or hear my great grandpa's story, you know, and have his story told. And I think it's really cool that I was able to do something, you know, because we, I mean, I've both done time. He's always been kind of a, I shouldn't say this, but my role model, my wife. Yeah. And I have a very, a lot of similarities to him. I look like him very much. And so mm-hmm. I've always been intrigued by him. And, I just think it's cool I got to do this. Well, I appreciate everything you shared with me and, you know, all those newspaper clips. There were things that I couldn't find, so it was great that you sent that to me. I, I, uh, I appreciate you guys doing this. I was curious. Do you ride horses? Do you work out and f- do, do any of that ranch? I, uh, I am a cowboy. I have been a lot of cowboying. I come from a family that is big on horses and and known around here has a very good reputation for being really excellent riders and horsemen. Yeah. I've been on horseback since I was a baby. Oh, my gosh. I mean, literally since I was a baby. That sounds just like Nathaniel. Yep, my great-grandpa, he has a reputation even to this day as being one of the excellent horseback riders in history of this area. Yeah. He actually trained movies for the or horses for movies. And he was very good at, they had the horse pulls back in the, the day, you know, and I tracked now, and he had teams of horses. He was undefeated for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Nobody could outpull him. His horses could pull more weight and were faster than a lot of teams. Eastern Idaho is very big ranching community and farming community. There's a lot of horseback stuff, and 
Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of ranches over here that do all their work off horseback, which is how I've always done mine. I love that you still have that connection to them. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. It's, a, it's the greatest way to make a living, but it's the greatest way to live. Yeah, I, I still can't believe that, you know, how he died, you know, riding that horse is just... How many people can say that their grandpa died on horseback? True cowboy, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he actually did have a massive heart attack. They were moving cattle for the year up to this uh, mountain, up the Graves Lake area. And uh, he had just gotten on his horse. had been on the horse in about two years because he had had heart problems. And the doctor told him to basically sit in a chair. He wanted to go help move the cattle to the summer ranch. And he said, absolutely. I guess he got out there on the horse, and he was super excited. They said he was smiling big, and he spurred the horse, and it reared up. And he took off over the hill on a dead run, and when everybody else got over the hill, he was on the ground dead, and the horse was standing there. Wow. And the doctor said he had died of a happy heart. His, he got so excited, his heart had actually burst. Wow. And that's exactly how that man would have wanted to go. I'm so happy to share his story. It's Thank you so much for, for being on this. In our first season, we we uh, interviewed a CEO, and so it's sort of nice to get the other side of that, really get a full understanding of, of what incarceration is like in, in modern day, because we talk so much about what it was like earlier, and, and it, it sounds similar in so many ways, but also different in, in so many ways as well. So I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk to us. I'm really honored to be a guest to be able to do this. I, I think it's really awesome. And thank you, uh, everybody who's listened to this whole thing. I know it's kind of difficult trying to record through a telephone audio, so it's not the the best audio we can get. But uh, hopefully next time Curtis passes through Boise, we can sit down and get a nice, clear recording there. Absolutely. I actually uh, would, I'm moving to Montana soon, but I would like to go back over to Bill Penitentiary to meet you guys. And I would like to be taken on a tour by one of you guys to hear the stories. I've never been on a guided tour over there. I would like to see that, you know, and see what my great-grandpa went through, what his time was like. Yeah, it's on the table. Just let me know when you're coming through, man. We will do that. It would be awesome. I still haven't brought my wife there. She's from Montana, so we've been... She's been to the old Deer Lodge prison, but she hasn't been to the old penitentiary Boise, so... Fascinating. All right. Well, hey, uh, I think we can wrap this up. If I were to say do your own time, how would you respond? Do your own time, do your own number. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're the first one to get it right just the first time. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you for That's listening. That's a very old saying. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we'll uh, see everybody. We'll see you all next Tuesday. And uh, thanks again, Curtis. It's been awesome talking to you. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. All right. You too. If you enjoyed Behind Gray Walls, please rate, review, and subscribe so others can find our podcast. If you're interested in more old Idaho penitentiary information and to see the mugshot that the inmates featured in this episode, follow the Old Idaho Penitentiary on Instagram and Facebook. If you want to learn more about the Idaho State Historical Society and its other sites, follow ID State Historical Society on Instagram or visit history.idaho.gov. If you have a question or comment for the hosts, which we love to get, please email us at behindgraywalls at gmail.com.